In the Trenches with Ryan Roxy. Seven, eight, nine, ten. This podcast goes to 11. So, hey, Ryan Roxy with you, and welcome to In the Trenches with Ryan Roxy. Thanks again for listening. Today we are joined by uh, lead vocalist, lead guitar player of the band Blackberry Smoke. Would you please welcome Charlie Starr? Hello. Hi. What's up, man? Oh, man, you know, just uh, in the trenches. <laughs> That's what I like about this podcast is because I get to talk with guys like you that have been making a living playing guitar, playing music, doing what they kind of always wanted to do. And, you know, might not be a household name just yet. It's coming. But you guys have definitely been working your butts off to make yourselves a household name, and you've done pretty well, right? Yeah, um, I kind of figured that over the years, um, you know, we've been able to do this for a living. Um, I quit my day job almost 20 years ago, and yeah. that that feels like making it to me. Blackberry Smoke started basically in the new millennium. So you are basically yeah. the, the new millennials band, You, if you could, if you could say that. Maybe. Yeah, I like that. That makes yeah. me feel a little bit younger, Ryan. I like that. <laughs> well, the, the deal was there was a, and I don't know, you know how old uh, the difference of our ages are, but back in, I would say, the, maybe the late 70s, early 80s, there was a Southern rock sort of revival where bands like Molly Hatchet and yeah. obviously Leonard Skinner were the godfathers of it. But the, but there was the, these types of Southern rock bands that became sort of a, a scene. And all of a sudden, kids from the suburbs like me, Northern California suburbs, were all of a sudden going to Day on the Green concerts in Oakland, California, where we'd see Southern rock bands and completely be supporting it. Do you feel like perhaps you guys are the forefront or the godfathers of the new Southern rock scene. Um, I guess so. I, that kind of, that, that sort of got stuck to us. Uh, um, and honestly, it's an, it's an honor um, to, to be, you know, people talk about passing the torch and things like that. I don't know about that because that music is so sacred where I come from, you know, and, People are people are funny about that. They'll be like, "That there's no torch to be passed. No one could ever fill the shoes of Greg Allman or Dwayne Allman or or even Dickie Betts or or Skinner or any of those bands." Um, really, I think it just is a happy accident that the band wound up in that position because we never really set out to be anything specific. You know, it just we sound the way we sound when five random guys play together. And I think it's got a lot to do with the songs, uh, right. you know, the type of the way the songs are written or even even down to uh, my accent when I sing. Right. You know? Well, it's definitely authentic because you guys are from Atlanta. You yeah. guys are from Georgia. You are from the South. So it's not like all of a sudden you saw a Southern rock video or a Southern rock Netflix special and said, oh, we're going to be. No, you guys are born, raised and grew up with this type of music, which yeah. which I wonder, as far as early guitar heroes, they're not always 
going to be the type of music that you play. It could be a different genre style of music altogether. But who were those early guitar heroes that you listened to growing up in Atlanta? Well, um, I, I grew up uh, playing bluegrass music and traditional string band music with my dad. He's a guitar player. He hates rock and roll. He only likes um, acoustic music, no drums. Nothing plugged in, you know, he's a purist. Sort of like jazz guys. Jazz guys only like jazz. Bluegrass guys only like bluegrass. They don't like anything else. It's a strange um, situation. But he taught me the cowboy chords on his Martin. And none of my friends liked that music. They liked Van Halen and Black Sabbath. Right. So uh, one of my friends in the neighborhood got an electric guitar. And he instantly became the most popular guy in the neighborhood. So we all wound up at his house. He was plugging his guitar into his sister's stereo, uh, into the headphones. I know that trick. I know that yeah. trick well. <laughs> so we together, just a few of us, started to learn Sabbath riffs. And uh, my sister's boyfriend, my sister was four years older, he had the first Van Halen record in 1984. And this was right around 1983, 84. I was about 11 years old. And uh, that was earth shattering was it yeah yeah. Um, and because before that i don't really think i was really listening to music you know what i mean not really listening you weren't thinking of the chords behind yeah yeah i just want to take people back when when the minute you said cowboy chords i I love that term. It's for those that are listening, that because we do have a lot of players and a lot of players are beginning to play guitar. First position chords, you know, yeah. that that open G, that D, and that's where I think most of our guitar knowledge comes from when we're learning. But now I'm kind of thinking, I wish I would would have learned my power chords to begin with yeah. first, because then I would have been able to learn a lot more of those songs, especially off of Van Halen One. Yeah, I was playing full bar chords you know uh, oh yeah i don't know where that came from and then one of those guys my teenage friends was like what are you doing man it's like this you know it's, <laughs> and i'm like oh that's so much easier. two fingers man just two yeah, fingers that's all you need <laughs> but then you know as my ears really opened my mom loved the stones and she and my dad were divorced so she was allowed you know <laughs> and yeah. i got her hot rocks cassette and Honky Tonk Women and Midnight Rambler, those were the two that I would just, just loop. Uh, and so, and you know, through the stones, then you find blues. So Absolutely. That rabbit hole. And then a little later, like 13, 14 years old, that's when I really heard the Allman Brothers Band and Leonard Skinner, which that music was omnipresent in Georgia and Alabama. You know, it's on the radio or in people's cars on the stereo constantly because yeah. it's, I mean, it's sacred music there. Such good music. I was turned on to the Allman Brothers actually later in life. I was. And I'm, I'm actually happy I was because it was actually after I learned how a little bit, my, you know, around the guitar myself. So then yeah. I could understand just how great, you know, their melodies and their leads were and how good they were as just musicians. I just feel yeah. so many of those bands... It was something about the musicianship. Even though we have so much more technology today, the level of musicianship and the way they, they were able to put ideas combined with, with their technique, it's, it created something really magical. That I don't know. I mean, 
you guys, I feel, are, are one of the better representations of carrying on that tradition. Well, thank you. Yeah. You know, those. when I think about it, and I, everything you just said is so spot on, they were so advanced. If you listen to that uh, live at the Fillmore, Almond Brothers record, it's just an unbelievable ensemble. You know, Greg Almond could have never sang a note, and I would still love that record just because of the guitar, uh, the two guitars, the bass, two drummers. Uh, just the complexity of those arrangements and songs. And those guys were kids, man. They were 23, <laughs> 22 years old at the time. I know. But you know what? They they were early on the facial hair. So it was always yeah. something about when you're in your 20s and then all of a sudden you have facial hair, you can you can go older earlier. Yeah. Less. Yeah. Very, very uh, a confusing photograph. <laughs> Look at these old guys. <laughs> but you're being a purist and you're talking about your father being a purist with the music. I'm always uh, I'm sort of a voyeur of your Instagram account because you always put these pure instruments. You're, you seem to be an instrument purist when it comes to the instruments that you play, the equipment you play. And I just I just get a kick out of you know some of the posts you put up because you put up some great shots of good guitars, some good old Gibsons. I'm always commenting on the Gibson guitars you put up. Is that kind of what you play live? Is that what the rest of the band all plays these? you know, traditional instruments? For the most part, yeah. Um, I've got a real problem. Um, <laughs> I mean, it, it's an addiction. Um, I don't know where it's, where or when it started, but um, but I really love vintage guitars. And Is that where your per diem goes? Is that where your, your per diem when you save it up? And then some. <laughs> Our other guitar player, Paul, he doesn't, I'm a little uh, envious of him because he doesn't have, he, he wasn't bitten by the bug quite as hard as, as I've been. Uh, I don't know. There's just something about old guitars. They have ghosts in them, you know. Um, I don't really feel that way about any other thing. I, I'm not terribly into old cars or or uh, old houses or or old books. It's, there's something about instruments and amplifiers. Is they, they're lived in. One of our guitar players in the Alice Cooper band, Tommy Henriksen, he also plays in the Hollywood Vampires. He is one of that. He's that guy just that you're describing. He's on in the morning and he's checking out like, you know, whatever town we're in, he'll check out the local papers and see if there's any maybe hidden gems found. Do you actually go to pawn shops to look for guitars anymore or are they, do they even exist? Or where, yeah. which, where's your hunting ground for, for good old instruments? Pawn shops are, are still a great place to find. I just found we were in... Um, Valparaiso, Indiana, and I found a, uh, an old, a late 40s ES300 Gibson, a big uh, hollow body, full size. Nice. Uh, yeah, they're still there. Um, but thanks to the internet, most people, you know, when I go in, finding the incredible deal is almost impossible now because people are like, yeah. Google, oh yeah, this thing's worth this yeah. much, okay. Well, but they could send all your leads to you. They could just send it as a direct message to, you know, Charlie Starr. If yeah. You want, right. Just to help with your addiction, of course, you know. Yeah. <laughs> my, hopefully my wife won't be watching this, so she won't know <laughs> my secrets. Well, what is your go-to guitar um, on stage with the band? And do you, the two of you guys uh, mix your guitars for different sounds, or how does that work? Yeah, uh, my go-to is uh, an old 1956 Les Paul Jr. 
um, that's one of the first vintage guitars I ever bought back in uh, the early 90s, right out of high, when I got out of high school. And it was it was really peer pressure. A buddy of mine, I just moved to Atlanta, um, and a buddy of mine was working in a little mom and pop music store, and they had some consignment instruments. And this one belonged to um, Rick Richards from the Georgia Satellites, who was an Atlanta giant. You know, we all thought he was the greatest guitar player. Still do. He was like Johnny Ramone and Keith Richards all rolled into one, you know. But wow. he had, he uh, had an old guitar for sale in there, um, that junior. Somebody painted it black. And uh, it was just a, a war horse. And so my buddy was like, you got to buy this guitar. And I, I thought, am I buying it? Okay, I guess, but it, it was um, 650 bucks, which that was all the money in the world to me. I thought, of course. How am I gonna pay? but we 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 worked a deal out, and uh, but that one is and it, it has stayed number one. And funny thing, I know you know what I'm talking about. I will other guitars will come and go, and I love them for different reasons, but when I put that one on, it's home, it's always home, nothing ever beats it for some reason. That's well. Probably- why it's so why it's so beat up is because it's great yeah you didn't have to pay to get it relic it relic itself over the years yeah yeah <laughs> i have yeah. that one. go ahead oh sorry. sorry to answer your other question uh, paul and i we used to really focus on um if i was playing a p90 guitar he would play either a humbucker or a single coil guitar because okay. it's really it's a that's a great recipe Right. Like you said, to sort of mix it up and get. But then after a while, you've just that kind of goes out the window. It's like, nope, I want to play this one. I don't care what you're playing. <laughs> and and sometimes a guitar looks good aesthetically for the type of song you're playing. Exactly. I know I know that sometimes if we're going to play a, a Alice Cooper 80s classic, for instance, I'll I'll take out a Flying V just because yes. it has a little bit more of that look. Although Flying V's is one of the most rock and roll shapes, iconic shapes. And very few people know that both the Explorer and the Flying V are from 1958. Yeah. They exactly. always assume that it's from a metal genre, but it's it's 1958, man. So yeah, Experimental. <laughs> well, you were talking, you, you brushed upon it about the Atlanta musicians and, and, and the musicianship that has come out of Georgia. And I actually know that there must be something in the water because I, I play with a, a guy named Joel Kosha. I don't know if you know Joel. He played a band called Collective Soul. Yeah. Great, great guitar player. And I, I figure you guys probably all know about each other and know of each other. Just an amazing player. But is there something in the water down there in in Atlanta or is or how is it that you're raised to be so I guess technically proficient on your instruments I don't know um that's a that's an interesting theory Bono he mentioned it in that Muscle Shoals documentary he said I think it's something about the river uh anytime there are uh musicians that were raised really close to a river yeah uh, or a bayou maybe a bayou yeah. <laughs> Liverpool, Montreal, Atlanta has the Chattahoochee. I don't know. Maybe That's he's got cool. something there. <laughs> so are there um, – you guys – I'm going to see that guitar that you're playing tonight, obviously. I'm, I'm going to get to check you guys out tonight. You are on tour. You've been – basically, you've been touring nonstop since you put out Find a Light uh, last year. And that's your latest album, Find a Light. Um, yeah. What's it like – 
like touring with so many different types of situations because you're currently on tour with Bon Jovi. And then I, I can only assume that the rest of the summer you're probably doing some festivals and then going to do your own shows. So how is there any preference that you have for being an opening band, a headline festival band, or just a, a heady, headline theater band? Or, you know, what, what's your preference? Well, I would, I would say that uh, headlining a show is, is preferable because we get to play longer. <laughs> but, but really, I mean, any, uh, any situation works, you know. Um, writing the set list just becomes a little tougher because, you know, sometimes you get the, oh, you guys are playing uh, 37 minutes. You know, it's like, wait a minute, uh, 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 you know, that makes it a little tougher. Do you have a set set list that you do pretty much consistently? Are there other? Do you have those four or five songs that you're that that uh, Blackberry Smoke fans need to hear, or can you guys switch it up every night? How does that work? We switch it up every night. Um, there are a few that I feel like, well, thanks to social media, you know, people let you know. Um, there are a handful that if we don't play, people um get angry our fans that is right, um, right festival situations it really doesn't matter those are actually some of the more interesting situations because you can really play anything that you want to you know um but even our headline shows we change it every night just because uh well it keeps it interesting for us you know mm -hmm. um and i I don't know. I kind of like to see the other guys in the band's faces because I don't send them the set list until about four in the afternoon. <laughs> are, are they? Is anybody ever like brushing up on the songs right up until showtime? Yeah, including me. All right, all right, that's good. I, I've seen, I, I've been interviewing and seeing a lot of bands that have this approach, and I, I've never seen anything as extreme as David Matthews because I went to a Dave Matthews show earlier in the year and. Uh, their guitar tech, Craig Baker, is uh, used to be my guitar tech. So he showed me a huge computer screen of about, he said, 287 songs. I didn't count, wow. but I trusted him. And he goes, you see that list? Every night, there's a different list coming out of there. And it I'm could be anything, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, and sometimes those guys don't get it until, like, they're on stage. Uh -huh. and, and so what happens? There's a little bit of a break. And Dave Matthews has a talk back through the uh, just to the guys in the bank in here. Yeah. And, and it's like a team effort. The the monitor guy will play a little bit in the ha in the in ears of the of the live version of it, just so the drummer will get the time and the beat. And he goes, OK, I got it. And oh, you'll wow. hear this happening all through the break of a song. It's pretty incredible. That's that's uh, yeah, that's intense. <laughs> Are you guys because you play? different types of gigs whether you, you know you're obviously playing uh, arena stadiums with bon jovi right now but then you'll go and headline your own theaters and, and bigger places are you guys all on in-ears right now or are you old school monitors we're all uh in-ears except for the bass player um he's the the holdout really i i i've been using ears for probably about eight years and uh it took a lot of getting used to um, as a guitar player. As a singer, I love it because I don't ever really ever have to uh, overdo it or push too hard push like too we hard. do with, you know, 
one night of horrible wedges, that, that'll yeah. kill you. Um, no, that's the thing. And I think at first, perhaps audiences weren't used to it, but now they've seen enough, you know, American Idol and enough sort of TV shows where you get, oh, enough Super Bowl special halftime shows where, yeah. well, those things hanging out of their ears. Okay, we all understand that, that it's basically that that's they're hearing everything else. And it is a huge, huge game changer. I, I didn't never used in-ears until I came back with Alice in 2012. So yeah. did you did you make the transition somewhere between the beginning of the band in 2000 till now? Because that is a big switch that a lot of people don't think about going from wedges or monitors where everything can be different every night to a consistent sound. It's, yeah, we, we made the switch before our very first European tour, um, because the first time we came to Europe, we, it was a total punk rock tour. We played 22 shows in a row with no day off, and it, it was all these tiny little clubs. And that's I was thinking, it's impossible, I'll never do this. And our new front of house guy at the time said, okay, you got to get ears. That way we have consistency. And, you, and, and that way you might have a ghost of a chance of pulling this off, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and we did it, and I just didn't speak through for the whole tour. We did no press. I wouldn't speak at all during the day, and I smoked two packs a day then. I don't know how uh, we were younger. Right. Um, I guess youth has a lot to do with it. But but right off the bat, as a guitar player, I was like, oh, this is awful. Who wants to hear their guitar this clearly and, and specifically in their ears? You know. I and right. actually, I was like, I can't play the guitar. This is horrible. <laughs> what, what have I been doing? Um, but, you know, I found you get used to it. Going. Yeah. And then also we finally got um, we hired a monitor guy full time who he's really good at mixing these things. You know, that is a game changer. And it's an art, too. But yeah. you still have you have the holdout of the bass player. Huh? Yeah. We we have one holdout, but but he actually he's the one that pays for everything. He's the name on the marquee. Oh, Alice, there you go. Al, Alice uses one in ear, and then he takes one out. So if you ever see him live, you'll see one dangling down. So we still do have side fills when we bring them live. But are you trying to say that you bring a whole monitor system just for your bass player now? I don't want to I don't want to guilt him. I don't want to shame him. I don't want to yeah. <laughs> monitor shame him or anything. But is is it just for him now or what? He's got a wedge or two, and uh, actually the in-ear, the, our monitor engineer just mixes it. He's easy, which is which is great. He's he he doesn't need much, you know. He's, give me a give me a little bit of the piano and give me a little of his vocal, and I'm good. So uh, I think he's actually got uh, a problem with putting things in his ears. He's got some sensitivity there. That's what he says. But um, I, I tell you what, we did a. A run last year with Government Mule and uh, their old school side fills. I think it. I think it might be uh, there might be more PA on stage than than there than there is hanging uh, you know line arrays up front. <laughs> it's like Neil Young, you know, with the huge side fills. And uh, I would sit in with them at the end of their show, and, and for a split second there, I thought, okay, I'm. Screw the in ears. So I'm going. We're going back old school. Yeah. But you quickly went back to like, wait, I got to sing five, six, seven shows in a row. So yeah. yeah. 
it uh, it is a, it is actually a, a real good convenience in ears for your voice, especially for vocals. I've noticed I've noticed that even doing my own solo shows and yeah. in club tours, because whenever you play clubs, you don't know every night it could be a different. It's a different PA, obviously, and it's a different yeah. running it if you're if you're not have that luxury of having a monitor guy. So, yeah, I, I'm very when when you talk about these bands that you get to open for and play shows with and co-headline with it's like that's a I, to me that is in essence shows the spectrum of what blackberry smoke and his music the appeal to everyone because think about it government mule and then how many months later or you know the next year it's it's, it's bon jovi and do you do you find the crowd's reactions to you similar different or is it all in the spirit of rock and roll. They appreciate it. I think it's all in the spirit, but it, a lot of it has to do with where we are, you know. Um, obviously in Europe, people are just, it's, it's a fact, they're just more open-minded musically. Um, we're playing Sweden Rock tomorrow, and the first time that we played Sweden Rock was 2008 or nine, uh, 10 years or so ago, and we went on right after Death Angel. And I remember standing at the back of the stage watching them perform, and I thought, and people were going crazy. It was, it was just, it was metal, you know. And right. I, and terrified. I thought they're <laughs> going to throw rotten eggs at us, you know. I don't know what are we doing. And but we walked on stage, and all these Confederate flags went up in the audience, oh. and I was like, oh, okay, well. See, in, in Sweden rock, they wouldn't throw eggs because they have to eat those eggs for breakfast. There's no there's no other place to eat <laughs> breakfast out there at that festival. So there's no way. <laughs> but that's cool that you could that you could actually win that crowd over. And, and I'm assuming that, you know, with this Bon Jovi tour, it's it's more of the same because you guys do have this appeal. You win people over is what I'm saying. And, 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 I, and I, you won me over when I saw you in kind of the smallest club setting it was at a small awards it was it, it was a bandit rock awards but it was at a small venue was, i think it was a hard rock cafe in stockholm a couple of years ago and you you came there to play an acoustic small acoustic set but then you saw me on the side watching you and then you just busted into only women bleed by alice cooper and it and immediately i think the crowd and everyone said what hey man you winning them over is what I'm saying, and and and, I, and it really won me over. So thanks for that. That was that was one of the coolest shout outs I've ever gotten, especially at the Hard Rock. <laughs> well, thanks, man. Um, I saw you guys. Um, well, I've seen you several times, but I think the first time was actually in London um, at the. I don't remember if it was Ramblin' Man Fair or the Stone Free Festival or something like that, but. It was just fantastic. And um, I, I met Alice in Los Angeles uh, several albums ago. He, uh, I, I did his radio show um, at the time. And uh, oh, yeah. what, a, what a generous man with his time. And Nice to Alice Cooper. Yeah. yeah. Always you know makes you feel like the most important person in the room. That, that's how you can tell a superstar when he's a superstar, like, like yeah. a guy, an iconic guy like Alice, is that when he's sitting in the room talking to you, but you feel like you're the most important person. <laughs> Absolutely. I couldn't believe it. Um, yeah. Oh. What a great fellow. So um, 
a couple silly things before before we take off here because I I, I want to let you get ready for you got you got a couple shows you got Sweden Rock you got Bon Jovi and um, I, I guess hopefully down uh, the line in 2019 our paths will cross again on the road but uh, just a couple things I had to I have to ask just because you've probably been asked it before but you know how, because it's happened to Alice before. Where Alice is walking down the street and someone will yell, "Hey, Ozzy!" Does it happen? You know, uh, "Hey, Blackstone Cherry!" Absolutely. Because you guys, yeah. are both, you both have a similar name. It it, it is guitar driven. Yeah. Is there ever any animosity, or is it just kind of like you roll your eyes up and go, "Yeah, I'm not," you know, "I'm yeah. I'm Britney Spears, not Christina Aguilera." Yeah. <laughs> Now, we just played a show with those guys um, last week, and uh, it was Rocklahoma, the festival uh, in Oklahoma. Um, and I, I actually, we've known those guys since they formed. Uh, they were teenagers. We were recording our first record in uh, north of Atlanta with Jesse Dupree from Jackal. And uh, Jesse's, right. Jesse's friend, Richard Young, from the Kentucky Headhunters, came in the studio one day and brought his son and his friends uh, and I think literally they were 17 years old, you know, and he said, this is my, this is my boy. and This is his band, you know, and, and uh, I don't know if I heard the name of the band that day, but I remember initially when I heard it, I was like, what, what are you talking about? <laughs> but they were different, you know, um, similar, but different. The black, the black, the Blackberry Blackstone tour would be uh, something to, would definitely be confusing for some of the fans, but yeah. But, the hardcore fans, I think, are going to support no matter what. Yeah, right? we threatened it a few times because I'm also uh, really good friends with Keith Nelson from Buck Cherry. And when they were together, we threatened to put together the, the Buck Cherry, Blackberry Smoke, Blackstone Cherry tour, um, which we never did. And I'm, I'm glad. Say that say that three times and you yeah. win a prize. You, get, you win a free ticket if you can say it five times. Exactly. So the other the other thing, because my name is Ryan Roxy. Uh, Charlie Star. Is it yeah. an abbreviation of a last name, or is it something that you've grown up with, or did you just, like me, not have a backup plan when you were a kid, so you just started calling yourself Charlie Star? It's actually a nickname I got when I was uh, in my early 20s. Uh, my real last name is Gray, G-R-A-Y, um, and I, I never planned on a name change or anything like that, but a good friend of mine, the one who talked me into buying the junior, he gave me that nickname, and uh, it kind of stuck around the club scene in Atlanta. I never really, I never called myself that before, but it kind of stuck, and I don't know, I just kind of let it roll. I was calling you CW because of your Instagram account, right? I mean, right. Yeah. Uh, the, so, I mean, well, it sounds like you have a pretty good friend in that guy. He turned you onto your go-to guitar. He gave yeah. you basically your stage name that you've right. now adopted into your persona. Um, yeah. he, he's a good dude, right? So he is, yeah. Ted Lethang. He actually also he owned. He was in a band that you remember the Four Horsemen. Of course. From, yeah. Um, he was in an Atlanta band. My friend Ted, who opened some shows for them. And their guitar player, Haggis, um, who was in the cult and Zodiac Mind Warp and the Love Reaction previously, Haggis had these two Telecaster guitars. They were um, they were parts guitars. They weren't actually Fender Telecasters, but 
they were built by a guy in Frankenstein LA. put together. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, Ted wound up with one of them. I think it was a gift and it was it's beautifully carved the top um, and it's a P90 guitar um, parts telly and uh, for years my friend Ted had that guitar and I, I was offered to buy it for a decade no 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 not for sale not for sale and then he quit the last band that he ever was going to be in basically I think he said I'm done with this I'm done with bands all right I'll sell you this guitar so I I have that one so yeah he's a he, you're right he's a great friend well, next time, next time you come on, and I hope you do come on again, because uh, we'll, I, I want to dive into guitars, I want to dive more into amplifiers, because I didn't even touch on the amplifiers just yet. But uh, I'm going to wrap it up right now and, and leave the people with some information on how to get in touch with you. If if people want to come see a show, what's the best way to get in touch with Charlie Starr or you know find anything about uh, Blackberry Smoke? BlackberrySmoke.com is the website, and um, all things social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Yeah, um, yeah it's pretty easy to find. Well, and you don't even have to go into social media. You can pretty much just open up your paper, and you'll, you'll see probably an ad for you guys playing a town near you pretty soon because you've been working nonstop, right? When, when, when did yeah. When did the tour start for uh, the latest album, Find a Light? And when do you see any end in sight for it? Well, our tour never stops for for very long. Uh, we we it's not the it's not the typical um, album tour album tour cycle for us. Uh, we just kind of tour all the time and and uh, try to release records when we can <laughs> when we have a couple weeks off. So. We usually, you know, take the holidays off December into early January, and that's it. We just go, go, go. And well, you guys are—I will say it—America's hardest working rock band uh, right now that I've that I've talked to. And uh, I'll try and come up on your heels this year because we start our tour uh, in just a little while. And uh, again, I hope our our paths cross again. Uh, for now, thanks for being with me right now on In the Trenches. You've more than. Uh, proving yourself as a, a worthy candidate for being, I, I, I don't know. I, I'm going to have some, who's going to be most in the trenches is basically what I'm looking for after, after I'm done with enough of these interviews. But uh, you are, you are right up there as one of the hardest working guys I've, I've met. So, Thank you very much, my friend. Congrats, Charlie. And uh, check out Charlie Starr, Blackberry Smoke uh, at a concert venue near you. And uh, I am going to stop this recording, but you hang on the line really quick, Charlie, so we can talk a little bit more. But uh, we'll okay. see you again next time for In the Trenches with Ryan Roxy. Thanks for listening. See you guys Thank later. You. Enjoy the ride. In the Trenches with Ryan Roxy.